section number four of the rover volume one number seven this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by april six zero nine zero the rover volume one number seven edited by seba smith and lawrence labrie section four the ghost of kilchalon it's something more nor forty or five and forty years ago that there lived in kilchalon in this very county of tipperary a real old gentleman he was one major blennerhasset one of the real old protestants none o you upstarts that come in with cromwell or ludlow or any o the blackguard biblemen o them days for the only difference of a bibleman now air and the bibleman's o former times was just this that cromwell's bibleman used to burn us out of house and home while the bibleman now only tells us that we are going to blaze so your honour you see they were determined to fire us one way or another well as i was telling you major blennerhasset was a real old protestant and though he'd curse and swear and damn the papists when he'd be in a passion the devil o one of him would be ever after turnin us out of our little buildings supposin we were two or three or maybe five gales in arrear now you may be sure that all the boys were distracted one morning to hear that the major was found with his throat cut from ear to ear in a most unhandsome manner there wasn't a papist in the parish but knew that he hadn't a hand in it for the major was as dead as a door-nail or queen elizabeth there wasn't a neighbor's child in the entire barony that wasn't up at the major's big house in no time to hear how the poor master's throat was cut and when they saw him it was plain to be seen that the major didn't do it himself for there was the poor right hand cut in two nearly and such a gash as he had in his throat they all said couldn't be given by himself because the major it was well known wasn't kilthogude left-handed besides that there was the old gold watch gone and his bonds and what money he had in the house along with a five hundred pound note to be sure the magistrates had an inquest and pretty work they made about it and maybe the newspapers didn't make fine talk about it they never stopped for three months saying all the protestants in tipperary were murdered by the papists and so on till this peaceable county was under the insurrection act and then to be sure they never stopped transportin us and all this was by raisin of a decent gentleman's throat being cut by some blackguard or another at all events there was no makin head nor tail o the major's murder till comin on the assizes when two innocents one jack carey and one bill dorney was taken up for it my father knew the two chaps well and except that they didn't care what they did to come round a girl he often told me that milder nor incenter nor modester nor partier behaved boys he never seen the people in fact were sure they would be acquitted till they heard that lord nurberry was come in the circuit and then they gave it up as a bad job at last the day of the trial came and to the surprise and wonderment of everybody who should get upon the table and take the book in his hand 
to swear away the lives of poor jack carey and bill dorney but one kit cooney now kit you must know was the only creature that lived with the major for the major was an old bachelor and cooney fled the country after the major was murdered and in troth every one thought it was he who did the major's business for he wasn't the best o character at any time and every one was wondering why the major let him live with him at all at all up kit got on the table and bold as a lion he swore hard and fast as a trooper that dorney and carey murdered the major in his bed and that he himself kit cooney the vagabond agreed to join them in doing so but that he repented of it and wouldn't lay a hand on the old man but ran away to dublin when it was all over and told the police there all about it he was you see sir a king's evidence an informer and in short he hung the two men the truth was cooney had the dublin police magistrates to back him out and the two poor boys wouldn't prove an alibi at all but this indeed i often heard their friends say that if the two gassoons liked it they could have proved alibis for them in twenty different places all at the same time and each of them forty miles away from the murder besides that the two boys themselves could show as clear as daylight where they really were the night the major was murdered the fact was it was said that carey and dorney were doing something that night they didn't want the priest to know anything about at all events they might have let such evidence alone for they'd have been hung on kit cooney's affidavit at any rate they to be sure said they were innocent and the people believed them the judge said they were guilty and the jury believed him and the two young men were hung accordingly this sir i was telling you happened five and forty years ago and just like the present times cooney knew the country too well to stop in it at best he was but an informer and tipperary is a spot that was always counted too hot for them kind of rapscallions it wasn't for many years after that he was heard of and that way that that mention was made of him was just thus it was you see about six-and-twenty years next holy eve night that my aunt biddy and it's from her own son i have the story which is next to knowing it myself it was on that very night and it's a night that's mighty remarkable entirely for quar stories of the good people that she was standing at the door of poor old major blennerhausett's house that was and looking out to see what in the world was keeping patty that was her husband's name so long at the market of golden for it was market day in golden when she seen a well-dressed farmer-like man with clothes on him that looked as if they were made in dublin you see they hadn't the tipperary cut upon them at all and there was this decentish old man standing right opposite her on the road and looking terrible narrow at the house well she thought nothing at all of that for its few people could pass the road without stopping to look at the major's house it was such an out-of-the-way big one to be so near the high road god save you ma'am says he god save you kindly sir says she it's a cold night says he tis says she will you come in and take an air o the fire i will says he so she brought him down to the kitchen and the first thing she remarked was that 
she forgot to tell him of an ugly step that lay in his way and that everybody tripped over if they weren't told of it or didn't know it well before and yet without a trip or a jostle but smooth and smack clean like herself the stranger walked downstairs before her by now sawkins said she to herself you were here before my good man whoever you are and i must keep my eyes upon you and then she talks out to him are you dry or hungry says she no but i'd like a drink o buttermilk says he why then i'll get the same for you says she what countryman are you then to tell you the truth says he i'm a conny man why then you haven't a bit of the brogue says she but talk english almost entirely as well as myself oh says he i was in dublin polishing off the brogue that accounts says she for the fine accent you have were you ever in these parts before never says he that's a lie says she to herself but i'll go and fetch you a noggin o the buttermilk thank ye says he you see she left him sittin in the kitchen and while she went for the buttermilk which was to a pantry like off the kitchen and while she was there she saw the stranger put his hand to the second brick in the hob take out some little parcel and run it into his breeches pocket while he was doing this she saw his little black ferret eyes that were not longer in appearance nor a hawk's but were bright and glistening and dazzling like them wheeling all round the kitchen to see if any one was watching him in a minute she knew the gallows look of him it was kit cooney that had hung her own flesh and blood till they were high and dry as a side o bacon to be sure the poor woman was frightened enough but she was very stout and didn't let on and accordingly she came out with the noggin and when he drank it off she sat down opposite him and asked him would he stop the night as her husband would be home in a few minutes and would be glad to see only one that could tell him about the castle and the parliament house and the bridges and the lord mayor and all the fine sights of dublin no thank ye says he i must be in golden to-night i've got all i wanted from you faith you have says she to herself again but whatever it is it's more nor a drink o buttermilk well sir the man left her and she sat down waiting for her husband quite melancholy like and wondering what in the world it was that cooney had taken from behind the hob she searched it mighty cutely but if she was looking from that day to this not a happen forth she could find but an empty hole and nothing in it ten o'clock struck eleven o'clock and no patty was yet come home so to comfort herself she sat down to make a cup of tie and to make it strong she determined to put a stick a glass of whiskey in it she had the bread and the butter and the whiskey bottle and the teapot laid comfortably on the settle bed and there she was sitting on a creepin little stool besides it when the clock struck twelve the very instant it did she heard the drawing-room door open and tramp 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 she heard two feet coming downstairs and whack 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 went a stick against the banisters as if somebody who was lame was hobbling down to her as well as his two legs on a stick would carry him to be sure this woman was frightened enough she knew it could not be patty for if he had a stick in his fist he would be more likely to knock it against a man's head than an old wooden banister the lord save us 
says she to herself is this kit cooney's coming back to massacre me lo she then called out you vagabond whoever you are don't be afraid to show face to an honester woman than ever your mother was devil an answer she got oh says she maybe it's nobody at all i'll take another cup of tea at any rate she had just filled it out and put the second stick in it and was mixing it with the spoon when she turned up her eyes and who in the world should she see leaning over the settle-bed and looking quite cantankerous and doleful at the same time at her but the major himself there was in the very same dress that she had seen on him the very last day he was out with the temporary militia he had on a cocked hat that was at least three feet broad and two gold bands on it that were glistening as grandly as if they had only that minute come out o the shop and had never got a drop o rain on them then he had a large black leather stock on his neck and a grand red officer's coat that between the green that it was turned up with and the gold that was shining all over it you could hardly tell what color it was his shirt was as fine as silk infringed with beautiful tuckers and then the leather breeches on his thin old legs were as white as the driven snow and his boots that came up to his knees were as black and polished as a craw's neck the major in fact was dressed out in the very shoot that he went up to dublin to get for himself and that he never wore barring it was on the king's birthday or the like to be sure poor biddy who knew that the major was buried many a long day ago and knowing too right well she got drunk with grief at his wake was spifflicated and in fact sir completely nonplushed with admiration when she saw him standing before her in his best clothes she hadn't time to say god save you kindly to him when he said to her so biddy a man can't walk down his own stairs that was without your abusing like a pickpocket and calling him names i little thought i'd ever hear your mother's daughter call poor old major blennerhasset that your was the friend to you and yours a vagabond it's easy knowing it's in my grave i am and not here or you'd cut the tongue out o oh, your ugly head before you dare to say such a word to me you drunken blackguard oh then major says biddy sure enough if i knew that it was you that was in it i'd be the biggest of vagabonds to call you names but how the world was i to think that you'd be walking like a white boy at this unseasonable hour o the night oh then biddy if you knew how glad i am to get a walk you wouldn't wonder at my walking whenever i'd be let maybe you'd be glad to stretch your limbs yourself if they were after being cramped twenty-five years in a cold grave but how is patty he is mighty well thank you major how many children have you betwixt you only ten major what's become of them why then it's mighty good o you to ask after them major then to tell you the truth my four girls are married and have three children each two of my boys were hanged in the horizon in ninety eight three more were transported because their brothers were hung for that same and my youngest son is in hospital from an accident he met with at the last pharaoh golden when one of the kinnelies broke his leg with a blow or a stone 
because he was fightin as well as his shall i would let him for the hogans who you know yourself are our cousin germans or his own but major i'm sorry to see you look so delicate is there anything the matter with you anything the matter with me why then biddy you're enough to drive a man mad it's no wonder patty often gives you a mooly rugen beating and thing the matter with me blur an ounty fish am not i dead and buried what worse could be the matter with a man nor that besides i'm cruel dry my mouth is filled with the sawdust that was put in my coffin and i did not taste a drop o wine malt or spirits with this many a long day why then major said she maybe you'd take a cup o tay with me i've some green in the house oh hold your tongue biddy or you'll drive me ragin' mad entirely and then i might disremember what brought me here you couldn't take much tay yourself ma'am if you met with such an accident as that in your gullet look at me says the major taking off his leather stock am not i just like an old turkey cock on a friday that you were going to dress for my dinner on a sunday would this be a purty throat to go to a tie party with and as he said this the major loosed his stock and there sure enough upon the side of that biddy didn't wonder that he held his head steady with one of his hands for fear it might fall off of his shoulders entirely oh major says she it's plain to see that they were taking the head off you bad luck to their hands that did the same for you amen says the major and high hanging on a windy day to them too but the dirty rascal you see biddy that did that is still walking the face of the earth he hung your innocent nephews for it too but i won't have my walk for nothing biddy if you remember what i'm going to say to you do you know who was here to-night it was kit cooney now mind my words you seen him taking something out o the hob to-night that was a purse o mine as full o guineas as the catley church is full o saints and it was cooney that put it there after killin me and my blood is on the purse still and you recollect he swore on my trial that he got none o my money now the lying scoundrel at this very minute he has my gold watch in his fob with my own name on it and that five hundred found note that my cousin was more sorry for the loss of then he was o himself that is this very minute in the inside o my gold watch and my name's on it the villain was afraid by reason o that to change the note ever since let you and patty follow him now to golden you will find him in a Schreiburn house there charge him with this murder and tell him what i say to him and let him take my word for it that i'll never stop walkin till i see him walk to the gallows and biddy now that you mayn't be thinkin this a dream you have here's a guinea that i saved out of the fire and i'll make you a present of it thank ye major says she you are always good to me so she held out her hand to him for the gold guinea he was going to give to her her heart leaped up to her mouth when she saw it for it was as shining and as yellow as a buttercup in a green field on a may morning there it's for you says he hold it fast and don't forget i was with you with that she shut her hand on the guinea and the minute she closed her fingers on it she thought the hand was burnt off her oh major major says she you've murdered me entirely 
Ah, what major are you talking of? called out Patty, who was that moment come home and found Biddy jumping and skipping round the kitchen like a mad dog or a young kitten. What major? answered Biddy. Why, the old major that was here this minute? It's drunk you are, or Draymond, said Patty. Why then, if I am, said Biddy, look in the tea-cup, and you'll find the major's guinea that I threw there to cool it off. By the powers, it has burnt the finger and thumb off me. With that, Patty went to the cup, and instead of a guinea, he found nothing but a smoke and cinder. If Biddy took her oath of it, nothing would persuade Patty, but that she was Draymond, till she told him, O oh, Kit Cooney, be in there, and all the major said to her. Well, the upshot of it was that Patty and Biddy went to the priest and told him all that happened, and the priest went to a magistrate, Mr. Fitzgibbon, that he knew had a spite to the father of the magistrate, that took Cooney's swearin' against Carrie and Dorney. Cooney was arrested by Mr. Fitzgibbon, and the purse, and the watch, and the five-hundred-pound note were found exactly as the ghost told Biddy, and Mr. Fitzgibbon and the priest never let Cooney alone till he owned to the murder, and that the two poor boys, who by this time should be the father of fourteen or fifteen children apiece, were completely innocent. Cooney was accordingly hung at the next assizes, and there wasn't a carry nor a dorney in Tipperary that wasn't at the hanging in Clonmel. As to that, we have revenged ourselves well on them Coonies, for at the last pharaoh thurls, the carries gave three Coonies such a thrashing, that it will be a mighty square thing entirely, if one of the three live to see next Christmas day. Take my word for it, that the worst kind of cattle in Ireland are the informers. End of section number four.